Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Straight talk. No nonsense. Honest debate. This is The Roy Green Show. You know, we lost 17 lives on Valentine's Day. That's supposed to be the International Day of Love. We're going to take the love that we got lost on Wednesday, and we're going to spread that over the next day, weeks, months, and maybe even years. That was the principal of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, on uh, the mass shooting by Nicholas Cruz. I was just looking at some of the stories that have to do with uh, school shootings in this country. Not so long ago, we were talking about the 2007 shooting at C.W. Jeffries in Toronto. Jordan Manners was 15, and he was shot and killed in the school, grade 9 student, two charged with first-degree murder, and um, after two trials, they were found not guilty, but Jordan Manners was dead. And it was after that shooting that it was decided that Toronto police would be stationing an officer in schools under the auspices of the TDSB, the Toronto District School Board. And uh, just a couple of months ago, the board decided it would no longer longer wanted the uh, police officers in the schools. I still don't think that's a wise decision, but... It's a political decision, politically correct decision. It wasn't a wise decision. Uh, Dawson College, 2006. Uh, one woman was killed, 19 injured. 25-year-old Kim Veer Gill was the shooter, shot himself after the, uh, the rampage. University of Alberta in Edmonton, 2012. Travis Baumgartner shot four of his co-workers, three of them fatally. Um, 2013, Les Racines de Vie Montessori in uh, Quebec in Gatineau. 2013, uh, two men were killed during the shooting at the daycare. There's quite a, a number of Canadian school shootings. So what is it that these shooters, the individuals who do commit these horrific crimes, have in common? What is it that stands out about their behavior What is it that stands out about them that can act as a predictor for the violence that they're going to bring to others? Dr. Frank Farley is the past president of the American Psychological Association. He's the L.H. Carnell Professor of Psychological Studies in Education at Temple University in Philadelphia. And, uh, well, he's he's one of ours. He's former, uh, he's Canadian, former, did I say he was the past president of the American Psychological Association? Uh, Frank, thank you so much for coming back on the program and talking about this incredibly important issue because one of the issues, one of the questions that's asked constantly is, and it's been asked in the past few days, was there something that particularly pointed to uh, Cruz being, Nicholas Cruz being the shooter? Now, before you answer that, let me ask the studio to just get that clip ready, the one that we played at the top of the show with Emily Gonzalez, 
Let me know when you've got that. Okay, let's have a listen. Neighbors and classmates knew he was a big problem, must always report such instances to authorities again and again. We did, time and time again. Since he was in middle school, it was no surprise to anyone who knew him to hear that he was the shooter. Frank, again, thank you for coming on the program. There's a classmate of uh, Nicholas Cruz talking about they knew from they had a sense that he was going to be if there was a shooter, it was going to be him. So how obvious, how evident is it to those who are paying attention that somebody may be on that track? Well, um, uh, I'm getting, by the way, some some feedback. Well, we'll see if we can work on that. Anyway, what uh, what she was revealing is, frankly, what we would call hindsight bias, and it's a cognitive bias where people say, "Oh, yeah, I I saw that coming," or "I could have predicted that." Mm-hmm. So it's very hard evidence to accept. It's just not very good evidence. And the idea that there is some clearly understandable common ground among multiple uh, murders and murderers is weak. It's it's very weak evidence, Roy, that links these various people. In this current case... In my opinion, the number one phrase that should have made everybody stand up and take notice was when he said he wanted to become a professional school shooter. Mm-hmm. He should have been visited immediately upon that appearing online. And we know the FBI dropped the ball on this. Indeed. No question. And the FBI and all the other agencies have got to upgrade you know, their technology. They, they've got to be tracking this stuff. There are programs that will recognize semantics and, and the meaning in sentences that will pick this stuff up. And, Frank, uh, I, can hear, I, can hear, I can hear the feedback that you're getting. So why don't we do this? We will call you back. Hopefully we'll be able to clear up the phones uh, at Frank's end because it's difficult for him to express himself and, to, and, and tell us what's going on if he can hear himself uh, in, in his headphones. So we'll just call Dr. Farley back. And we'll talk to him some more about what is going on uh, with these issues. The factors that uh, the APA, the American Psychological Association, look at, uh, there's um, uh, expression, often using violence to express personal feelings of frustration and anger. These are the the shooters or the violent people. This is what they do. This is the behavior. They're manipulative. That means controlling others, obtaining something that a perpetrator wants and retaliation retaliating against those who have, they believe, hurt them or wronged them. Let's take a break here, and then we'll come back, and we will uh, hook up with Dr. Frank Farley, and hopefully we'll have a better phone line, and he'll be able to talk to me without hearing himself coming back at himself a couple of seconds afterwards. Stay with us. You're only as good as your word, and he stands by his. This is The Roy Green Show. Send emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com and uh, please follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green Show, at The Roy Green Show. 
And uh, the webpage is RoyGreenShow.com. You can listen back. I'd like to tell you this to anything that we air. A lot of people enjoy the podcasts. They're there for you, and uh, they're always properly listed, and you can listen back or download as you desire. RoyGreenShow.com. Now back to Dr. Frank Farley, the L.H. Carnell Professor of Psychological Studies in Education at Temple University in Philadelphia, the former president of the American Psychological Association. And we're talking about school shooters and school shootings. The American Psychological Association has articulated the personality factors which can and do lead to terrible loss of life, such as took place at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. So, Frank, I hope the phone is better now. So, Can you talk to us a, a bit about what the factors are that the APA has discovered are consistent among these people who perpetrate such horrendous violence? Yes. Um, we have three broad categories, and a lot of human behavior fits under one of the, or one or more of these three. One uh, we call expression. Uh, that's where violence is used to express personal feelings, like anger, uh, frustration. One of the oldest theories of aggression is called the frustration-aggression theory, which is, you know, your frustration just builds up to such a point that you lash out and you become aggressive in one way or another. Uh, anger. You know, the world is full of people who have anger control problems. And um, my favorite phrase that captures that is, who are you looking at? Mm. Who are you looking at? You know, where somebody takes mm -hmm. offense at someone who is looking at them in a, what they think is a strange way. I've heard that and in bars. I've, I've seen fights start with that. Yes, indeed. And uh, so that's what we call I expression. The second broad category is manipulation. And here, the violence is used as a way of controlling others. You know, getting something that the perpetrator wants. So, for example, Jeffrey Dahmer, who was a world-famous serial killer, he admitted straight up that his motivation for killing over 25 people was control. He wanted to control them. And so he would drug them and then just do terrible things to their body. He would drill into their body, doing all sorts of terrible things while they were alive, but drugged. So control was his. Uh, the third category is retaliation. The third and final category is retaliation. And I, I have a sense that might be a big one in this uh, shooting that we're talking about today. But that's retaliating against those people who the perpetrator believes uh, has hurt them or wronged them. So uh, the old the old fashioned term uh, going postal. You remember that term, of course, right? Yes. Going postal was where a worker gets fired or gets downgraded or something negative is directed at that worker, and they go back to the job site and they take out they retaliate. So that's a big one, and in this case. You know, this guy had been expelled from school. He seemed to have a lot of other rejections going on in his life. There was this incredible number of 39 police visits uh, checking him out, and obviously that failed. But the 39 police visits, um, 
And so he really was an unusual case, and maybe he just, this retaliation motivation just built up and built up and built up. And then the the uh, expressive side of himself, you know, that he just got more and more angry and frustrated. The cops were coming at him all the time. And uh, then he decided to get his own back. So, so, they, so the certainly there were, enough red, there were enough red flags, clearly enough red flags, to at least be interested in this guy. And he also had a, a, a great love. This doesn't mean anything necessarily, but he had a great love of firearms, and he had a collection of firearms. Yeah, as a young, as a as a kid, a high school kid. Indeed, there's something, Roy, that we in in psychological science we call the weapons effect, and that is the effect of the mere presence of a weapon. And it seems that the mere presence of a weapon can sort of exacerbate aggressive feelings, simply makes them, it potentiates them or makes them more, more important. So this could have been, he could have seen this as his tool for getting even. Is that right? Indeed. Yes. He had the tools. But, but, but Frank, of them. Frank, what about self-control? Is it abs- completely absent in some people? Is there, or is it just overwhelmed in, in some people? Because we all supposedly have breaks on our behavior, on aberrant behavior. It's, it's part of our DNA, I hope, to not participate in aberrant behavior. And 99.9999% of the population has those breaks and hopefully never has the thoughts to go ahead and do something totally insane. But if they do, they still control it. What, what happens to somebody like uh, this, this cruise? Well, Roy, you put your finger on one of the really key ingredients in the recipe. And there are a lot of ingredients, but this is, in my opinion, one of the key ones. Sort of impulse control, self-control. Here in the United States, the American prisons are full of people with impulse control problems. They just can't, you know, put the brakes on. Mm -hmm. And once they get angry, then horrible things happen, and they don't seem to have the self-control to stop it one reason why it's important to focus in on something that's concrete like impulse control is we can work on that with kids, you know, in the schools and in the families where we teach kids self-control, impulse control. You know, um, think before you act as opposed to acting before you think. And that's a trainable, learnable habit. Mm-hmm. And in the schools, we should be teaching it at the earliest possible level. Well, let me ask you this. Let, let me ask you this. Are you, are you there, Frank? Hello, Frank. Call him back. Uh, so clearly, we have an issue getting through to uh, Dr. Farley in Philadelphia. You might want to try the first number again to see if we can uh, get a better line with that one, because that was a, a landline. It was a bit dicey, this uh this, this mobile phone issue was dicey as well. But um, what they also have here, the American Psychological Association writes, there are signs which may be new or active or increased with individuals who would create the kind of horrid mayhem that, uh, that Cruz created, increased loss of temper, frequent physical fighting, increased use of alcohol or drugs, increased risk-taking behavior, declining school performance, acute episodes of major mental illness, planning how to commit acts of violence, 
announcing threats or plans for hurting others, obtaining or carrying weapons. So that's something to look for. Dr. Farley is back with us. I don't know. Maybe we ought to work on getting the phones to cooperate, Frank. <laughs> but what do, you, what do you do now when you have somebody like this and the signs have been noted, as they were in, in Cruz's case, reported as they were, ball dropped by the FBI. So there are things that can go wrong that are out of your control if you're the person who's observing and the person who's witnessing, the person who may have some influence. But what does society do? How do you see, what are the options for society to preclude a, a, a Nicholas Cruz from doing what he did, even if all of the other flags are not met? What's the last line of defense? I say there are two broad categories here. Number one is gun control, and Canada is a model of it. Canada has less than 200 gun homicides a year for 35 million people. It's unheard of. Here in Philadelphia, with 1.1 million people, we have twice that number every year. So Canada has got a formula that works, and the, and the rest of the world needs to know what that formula is. So gun control in the United States has been another lost cause for a long time. And in the wake of the uh, Sandy Hook shootings, um, everyone felt, uh, certainly me, that we'd finally get some action on gun control, and it did not happen. So maybe, maybe this time with the Parkland uh, massacre, we might get some some action on gun control. I'm not going to hold my breath, but I'm hoping for such action. So gun control is essential. The second thing, and you hinted at that when you mentioned earlier the Toronto situation with the school board. Mm -hmm. To me, the second situation, the first one is gun control. The second one is site, S-I-T-E, site control. I think you've got to harden the sites where, where we're talking about school shootings, harden the sites at schools. And for you, you mentioned that uh, police in the schools had been suspended in Toronto, apparently. Mm -hmm. That's a mistake, in my view. I think you see it that way also. I do. And in the States, it's essential. You know, uh, metal detectors and other technological uh, wonders of our time, they can detect almost all weapons. They work in courthouses. We've been using them for years in the courthouses of America. They are working beautifully. We need those installed in every school in, in this country. Yeah. Frank, I have to stop because of the clock, but I'll tell you what. We've gotten to a point now I hope we would never get to, and you are, you're talking about the situation in the United States, where schools have become, instead of a place where there's just learning taking place, it's also a place where the parents are often afraid to send their kids, and that's, that's so wrong, and that has to change. Dr. Farley, it's always great talking to you. We'll do so again, hopefully not uh, after a horrid situation like the one in Florida, but certainly appreciate you coming on and providing the information. Happy to do it. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, right. Dr. Frank Farley, past president of the American Psychological Association on the Green Show.